so this is going to be slightly in two parts, um, all based off of the scriptures. Um, this is the same scriptures that I'm going to use for both parts. And, and I said it's going to have a bit of a, an Easter feel to it because I, I'm also going to be um, speaking from uh, the accounts of Jesus' crucifixion. But this does tie in very well into, into today. But before I get into the scriptures, I just want to connect back into some of the things that we were sharing uh, earlier on. I mean, they, they say that uh, the women are the weaker sex. That's what they say, isn't it? And um, I would have to say that that's not what I see. In fact, I would, I would more often than not say that uh, they're, they're stronger than, they made a stronger stuff than us men. Their ability to endure pain uh, as, they, as they raise their kids and they, they see them making mistakes and doing things wrong and they seem to feel it more, more than anyone else. But they endure the pain. And, uh, and let's face it, if childbirth was given to men to do, we'd probably be an extinct species by now. <laughs> and the men are nodding more than the women on that one in agreement. Your ability to endure pain is, is amazing. And they're the linchpin of the family. And they're the, the, the glue that kind of sticks families together. If anyone... It's going to send a birthday card, a Christmas card, an anniversary card. It's going to be the mother in the family. Don't rely on the bloke to do that because it won't happen. They'll forget totally. And it's their emotional strength that they have. Incredible strength. And I think partly that becomes that, that comes because of their ability to express it. You know, again, as, as fellas, we tend to bottle things up. But a, a bottle can only hold so much. Um, but as, as emotions are expressed, actually it releases things. And their ability to, to carry the emotions of, of family life and of things going on in the world and everything else. They're amazing, amazing people. And one person particularly comes to mind, which is Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's told she's going to carry the incarnation of God. Now you imagine that. What a responsibility that you would feel has been laid upon you. And then raising Jesus, knowing the things that have been said around his birth. Kind of a bittersweet time when you've, she's given birth to the saviour of the world. And yet also being told prophetically the things that will happen to him uh, in his life. And carrying that throughout your life. And then, you know, and she was one of the followers of Jesus. She, she followed her son. And this is a real indication of that at some point we know that, uh, that Joseph was no longer on the scene. It would have been after the, um, the report that we have of his 12th, when he was 12 and he went to the temple and uh, Mary and Joseph had gone and they'd realised that they didn't have Jesus with them. 
a terrifying moment when you've lost God. <laughs> Imagine that. Very scary thought. But then at some point, Joseph is no longer on the scene. And uh, she becomes a follower of her son. So I'm going to read some, some scriptures. Uh, and then the two things I'm going to pick out. One is, one is about uh, the importance and the significance of mothers. And the other is to talk about uh, a word that came up over there, which is about resilience, having a resilient faith. So first of all, from Luke 23. This is picking up at verse 35. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. This is Jesus, he's on the cross. He saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there held insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Then jumping a few verses uh, ahead. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. And then uh, in Matthew 27, picking up at verse 55. Many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. I'm going to pick up in, in John in a moment. But what's really struck me about these scriptures is just how revolutionary Jesus was. Not just for his time, but even for today within the rabbinical system. The role and the position uh, of, of women held back then and even now is, is very low. Their status is really, really very low. And certainly no rabbi would have or permit any women to follow them. And yet not only did Jesus allow women to be uh, amongst their disciples to be counted as one of his followers but he relied upon them he spoke positively and powerfully um, towards them he completely turned attitudes on their head uh, for the time and it's interesting that the writers were very careful to, to note that it, it wasn't just some disciples that were around him, but the women were also there to, to observe him being on the cross, one of which being Jesus' mother. Now, I can't begin to imagine what that must be like for her as the mother of Jesus, to have seen his extraordinary life, to have been given the responsibility she'd be given, and then to see him there, hanging on a cross, pulling on everything of her natural mother instincts must have been must have been torturous, even though she'd kind of knew in a sense this day was coming for a long time. Here it was <coughs> happening. But also in, in Matthew he 
he chooses to pick out that he doesn't just say there's women also amongst them, but he refers to them as mothers. The mothers of, of James and of Joseph and of Zebedee's sons. They were very careful to pick that out. And I think there's something quite powerful uh, about that. So continuing, picking it up in uh, John, John 19, this is from verse 25. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, in order to fulfil the scripture, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there. So they put a sponge full of the wine on a branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Amongst all the things that was happening at that time, Jesus upon the cross, when, when they were actually doing it to him, he was saying, you know, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And then another account saying when, it, when he recognises that, you know, the sin that he'd taken upon himself was now causing his father, his, that eternal relationship that he has, his father is now turning his back on him. And he says, Father, why have you forsaken me? And there's so much going on, but he, he doesn't say that it is, that all is finished until he's dealt with his mum. Because she no longer has Joseph, so much of her, um, her status, her home, everything was, was pinned on the husband. But she didn't have a husband. And so the son would look after the mother. And now her son was dying on the cross. And so he's tying up the loose ends and he's bringing his mother and his disciple together saying, saying to the disciple, this is now your mother. In other words, he's making sure his mum is cared for, that she's got a home, that she's got someone to look after her. And it's not until then that he now says it's all finished. How powerful is that? How significant is that, that Jesus should consider uh, things, these things? Okay, so just moving um, to the second part, which is having faith in challenging times. How do we live out our faith in the current climate in our nation? How do we have a resilient faith? Because we're seeing even now that uh, Christians in this country are being arrested for, for expressing their beliefs regularly. It's no longer a one-off or some extreme circumstance. Well, for this, we're going to return to Luke 23 from verse 
35. I shall read it again. The people stood watching. Listen, listen really carefully to all the different people in this. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. And then verse 49. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. So we have a, a variety of people here. We've got the people stood watching, the onlookers, people who will say and do nothing, kind of a bit like sheep, those who are lost. These kind of people representing the people around us, people around us in society who are lost, who are saying and, and, and doing nothing, really. We've got the rulers this is a really interesting one. We've got the rulers who sneered at him. These people reflecting the ruling powers. Questioning Jesus' validity. They said, if he is the son of God. If he is the Messiah. If he is the chosen one. Reminds me of Satan. In the Garden of Eden. In, in his temptation. If God said. So we've got the voice of the ruling powers. Then we've got the soldiers mocking, representing our governmental bodies. Just following orders. They're just following the loudest voices in uh, their demands. We've got the criminals, the antagonists, the hypocrites, those who will speak of the speck of dust in somebody else's and miss the plank in their own eye. And then at the end, you've got the followers. What were they doing? They were stood at a distance, watching silently. And, uh, and this very much for me reflects what we face today. This is what we see. This is a snapshot of how we see things going on in the world around us today. And it's also what we see the followers of Jesus doing mostly which is standing at a distance from these things, saying nothing. Fear dominates the church. But why? One of the key things is because we don't know what we believe. I noticed last weekend that uh, the Jervis Witnesses were back out, knocking on doors. And uh, I was on the phone, I was talking to somebody and I, I was looking out my window and the other side of the street, I saw them going knocking on the doors. And I thought, oh, Jehovah's Witnesses are out. I haven't seen them for, well, actually years, I think it is. And I thought, great. Now you probably think that's a strange response, but I thought great because it was like, they're going to be knocking on my door at some point. Fantastic. Because I love inviting them in and having a coffee with them and um, really giving them the money's worth, <laughs> shall we say. 
But so many Christians won't answer the door to Jehovah's Witnesses because they don't know how they're going to respond to the things. They don't know what to say. They don't know enough about what they believe. They don't have the confidence of their own faith to be able to speak um, as um, an alternative perspective to what they are putting forward. And so often they'll say things in a way that you kind of think, well, actually, that sounds okay. That sounds about right. It sounds like what I believe. So people won't answer the door because we don't know what we believe. And, you know, I, and I won't say this about this church. I mean, you get some good teaching here. But in a lot of places, they're not getting it. They're not getting taught. They're not being discipled. And you may have noticed that as we have stood still on the word of God, you know, we've not moved our position. We've become extremists to the world. Because the world's position has shifted. We were once quite central to that, but they have moved and we haven't. And so we've become to the fringes, the fundamentalists. We've been, you know, People being arrested now are being reported to the um, to the terrorist branch of the police. Terrorism. When did love become a terrorist offence? And the idea of persecution is actually becoming real, isn't it, for us in the West? We've become very comfortable in the West. You know, we've never had to face any sort of persecution, and even now what we do face doesn't come anywhere close to what people are experiencing in other places but suddenly our faith is being challenged in a new way and that is causing us to um, reevaluate things but also our western view of our faith is individualistic what can i do you know when a problem is faced we're faced with a problem in the world we say, what can I do? Well, as an individual, yeah, we know. Not a lot. But if there's anything that we might have learnt from as we've seen these other forces at work, without, whether, whether that be LGBTQ, Black Lives Matter, or all the rest of it, they're not going, well, what can I do? They're seeing what they can do in numbers. They're raising a united voice. They're speaking up for what they believe. Now they're doing it violently and very um, uh, forcefully. I can't, the word is the word is gone. Um, manipulatively, that was the word I was looking for. But we keep saying, "Well, what can I do?" We can do a lot when we come together. When we stand with one united voice, which actually in the church today is a very difficult thing to find. And then there's the enemy's strategy. I was talking with a friend just a few weeks ago and, uh, and he said this. He said that the enemy is trying to sow confusion into the church in order to disarm them. And I thought that was really interesting use of language because we know that in Colossians it says that Satan has been disarmed. 
So he's trying to disarm us to level the playing field. He knows that each one of us, as being children of God, are a powerful force to be reckoned with. So if it can confuse us and disarm us, then it can reduce that. So the question is, who wants to have a resilient faith? Do we want to have a resilient faith? A faith that, uh, in times of testing, can stand strong. That when people knock on our door, when somebody questions our position on, on sexuality, or gender, or all of those things, or whatever it is, Black Lives Matter again, like I said before, and so many other things where now you you can no longer hold a middle ground. You know, you, everything's polarised and pushed one way or the other. We've got to remember, being a Christian was never meant to be a, a comfortable lifestyle. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Actually, the proper translation of that is to take up the cross and follow me. Not your cross. You don't have a cross. There's only one cross. There's only one cross that made a difference in the whole of history, and that's his cross. And so we have to take up the cross. We have to embrace, as, as Paul says in Romans, you know, if you want to enter into my glory, you've also got to enter into my suffering. And we've got to remember that we died to our old self. We're a new creation. We're brand new. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We've been bought at a price. Okay. You have the mind of Christ. Do you know that? You have the mind of Christ. That's what we're told in Philippians. You have the mind of Christ. And we're told in Corinthians as well. Got to remember that we have the word of God, which is powerful. We have the spirit of God, who is powerful, the spirit of power. We're told to encourage one another and to spur one another on. We're told to pray and to study and to actually believe what we read. And then we've got in Ephesians 6, stand firm. Take your stand. And when you have done everything, even when there is nothing else that you can do, stand. Take your stand. Three phrases that really have been speaking to me a lot recently is stand up. In other words, be a Christian. Don't, don't hide your faith. Stand still. In other words, don't move from the word of God. And stand out. Actually, if you do the first two, the third one will happen. Because if you live your faith on the word of God, you will stand out more now than ever. Because everything has moved so far away from the word of God. I'll, I'll end it there, I think. In Acts 4, when the, the, 
the, the disciples, the apostles had undergone some persecution. They, they came back together again and they talked about these things, what was going on. And, and then they prayed. They didn't pray, oh God, I'm a Christian, get me out of here. They prayed for boldness. In other words, the persecution made no difference to their faith. It made no difference to what they were going to do. They just prayed that they would be able to go back out with even greater boldness. And God did two things. He shook the place physically and he filled them with the spirit. In other words, he made sure that they were equipped to go out bold. Let's stand, shall we? Father, we thank you for the faith that you've given to us. We thank you that your word says in Peter that you have given to us all things necessary for righteous living. And Lord, I pray that in these times when living as a Christian is becoming less and less tolerated, Lord, that you'd help us to be bold. That you'd help us to stand firm upon your word, to know it, to study it, and to believe it. That if you are God, which we know you are, then we can trust you with our lives, whatever that means and whatever that looks like, because you are the King of glory. And so we look to you again, Lord, to strengthen us, to not shy away when the time comes that we have to give a reason for the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name.